May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Please be seated. You know, just last week it was 70 degrees and sunny. And so today I am reminded that I am not in Texas anymore. Um, But but the sun is shining uh, and it's getting better. Just a few years ago, Rick and Kay Warren lost their 27-year-old son to suicide. It was a devastating loss made all the more difficult by the publicity surrounding the tragedy. Rick, of course, pastors one of the largest churches in the world. About a year after the initial heartbreak, he made these comments. I've often been asked, he said, how have you made it? How have you kept going on in your pain? And I've often replied, the answer is Easter. You see, the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus happened over three days. Friday was the day of suffering and pain and agony. Saturday was the day of doubt and confusion and misery. But Easter, that Sunday, was the day of hope and joy and victory. And here's the fact of life. You will face these three days over and over and over again in your lifetime. And when you do, you'll find yourself asking, as I did, three fundamental questions. Number one, what do I do in my days of pain? Number two, how do I get through my days of doubt and confusion? And then number three, how do I get to the days of joy and victory? The answer is Easter. The answer is Easter. The Christian faith stands or falls with the story of Easter. In 1 Corinthians 5.17, Paul gets right to the point and says, If Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Think for a moment about what this means. If Christ was not raised, there really is no hope. No hope for us personally, no hope for the world. Sin and evil are the final reality and there is no alternative. What we see in the world is all there is and all there ever will be. Optimism may remain for some, but it really would be foolishness. The turmoil in the Middle East and terrorism around the world, the rapid decline of our culture, dehumanizing poverty, drug abuse, addictions of all kinds, loneliness, bitterness, hatred, death, and loss that each of us will know before all is said and done. If there was no resurrection, then all of these things have a kind of finality about them. No no resurrection and suffering is meaningless. No resurrection and death has the last word, so joy too is meaningless. So I'd like to spend some time this morning considering some important questions about the resurrection. First, can we be confident that it really happened? I believe that we can. Second, What does it mean in the context of the biblical story? It means a great deal. And then finally, what difference does it make to you and me? And of course, it makes all the difference in the world. So let's begin with some of the evidence. Uh, And we should start by being honest with ourselves. The story is hard to believe. It's hard to believe now, and it was hard to believe for Jesus' followers. Even when Jesus stood before them, raised from the dead, and fully alive, it was hard for them to believe. Just a few verses before our reading this morning, in John chapter 20, verse 15, 
Mary of Magdalene is the first to encounter Jesus. And when he says to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She mistakes him for a gardener, and she asks, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. But then Jesus turns to her and calls her by name, Mary, and she begins to see and understand. In the Gospel of Mark, we're told that after Jesus appeared to Mary, she told the disciples, and they would not believe it. When Jesus finally appeared to them himself, he began with a rebuke of their unbelief. We have a similar story in Luke's Gospel. The disciples refused to believe the testimony of Mary and the other women. And then, as two of the disciples traveled on the road to Emmaus, Jesus joined them and spoke with them. But they did not recognize him. They thought he was a stranger, but then he broke bread and their eyes were opened. When he later appeared to the rest of the disciples, they were frightened and they thought they saw an angel. And of course, in our gospel lesson for today, we have the story of Thomas who could literally not believe his eyes. So Jesus guided his fingers to touch his own scarred hands and to feel the wound in his open side. And then Thomas's doubt turned to belief, and he confessed, My Lord and my God. At this, Jesus said to Thomas, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. He's talking, of course, about you and me. You see, if we are awake at all, then the resurrection is hard to believe, and Jesus knew that it would be. Unlike the disciples, we can't touch his hands or feel his open side. He doesn't walk among us in bodily form or speak with an audible voice, at least he does not to me. Yet our faith isn't blind and it's not baseless. There is good reason for it. Did you know that of everything said about Jesus in the New Testament, the resurrection is the most widely contested But at the same time, the crucifixion is the most certain. Few scholars seriously doubt that Jesus was crucified. A man named Jesus most certainly lived in the first century. He gathered followers. He preached a message about God's coming kingdom. And he was crucified by the Romans on a hill called Golgotha. Outside of the New Testament, the crucifixion of Jesus is mentioned by a Jewish historian named Josephus. It's mentioned by Tacitus and Suetonius, both Roman historians, by the Roman leader Pliny the Younger, and in other texts as well. There really is no dispute. Jesus Christ really walked the earth. Our New Testament teaches about a historical figure who died by crucifixion. And here is the irony. The fact that Jesus was executed in the most horrific way, sending his followers into hiding and despair, gives us good reason to believe in the resurrection. Let me say that again. The fact that Jesus was executed, as he was, sending his followers into doubt and despair and hiding, gives us good reason to believe in the resurrection. You see, if Jesus had not been raised, then his movement would have almost certainly ended with his death. Did you know that there were other men who lived near the time of Jesus who claimed to be the Jewish Messiah. You've probably never heard, for instance, of Judas, son of Hezekiah, who died in 4 BCE. You've never heard of Simon of Perea, Athrongs the shepherd, Judas the Galilean, the Samaritan prophet who died in 36, Theodos, Menahem, the son of Judas the Galilean, 
of John of Gilscala, Simon Bar-Giora, or Jonathan the Weaver. Each of these men gathered a group of followers to challenge Rome. Some were said to perform miracles. Some were thought to be the Messiah, and some believed themselves to be the Messiah. And every one of them was executed for their treason. Their followers were forced into hiding, disillusioned, and totally defeated, and their movements were over. We've not heard about these people. The story of Jesus should have ended in exactly the same way. He gathered followers, performed miracles. He taught about the coming of God's kingdom and met a horrible death. That should have been the end of the story. Can you imagine what it must have been like for the disciples? The disappointment, the shame, the fear that each must have felt. Jesus was crucified. Their hope was squashed. It was over. Now they had nothing to do but fear for their own lives. Yet, within 350 years, there were more Christians than non-Christians in the Roman Empire. Scholars estimate that there were some 30 million Christians living in the empire by the time that the Emperor Constantine got on the bandwagon and became a Christian himself. I'm not aware of a more remarkable or more unlikely story in human history, and I don't say that lightly. Christianity is the largest faith on earth. No single person in human history has been more influential than Jesus Christ. The fact that Christianity lives on today after the crucifixion is the greatest evidence that we have for the resurrection. Something must have happened after the crucifixion. The disciples went from shame and disappointment, a life on the run, to bold witness. All of them became apostles and missionaries, and most of them were martyred for the faith. James, the son of Zebedee, Peter, Andrew, Philip, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Jude, all are said, have died, all are said to have died for their faith. Our own doubting Thomas is reported to have taken the gospel all the way to Persia and perhaps to India. Like the others, he died a martyr. Men and women of the early church believed in the resurrection so completely that they considered martyrdom well worth the price. And Christianity advanced decade after decade, never through conquest, as other faiths have, have advanced, always through preaching, teaching, martyrdom, and works of compassion. The rise of Christianity after the crucifixion is a miracle made possible by a prior miracle, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're gathered here this morning for no other reason. There's no way we would be gathered here had there not been a resurrection. Jesus was raised from the dead, and the disciples were totally transformed by that event. You see, for the disciples, Jesus was an enigma when he lived. They followed him. They placed their hope in him. They were awestruck by his teachings, by his miracles, and by his love. Yet he was a puzzle to them, and they couldn't put all the pieces together. With the resurrection, it all, be- it all began to make sense. We find this theme most clearly in Luke's gospel when Jesus joins two of the disciples walking on the road to Emmaus. When he joins them, he explains everything in the scriptures concerning himself, and they came to see the crucifixion itself in light of the resurrection and as part of God's great plan to save Israel and to redeem a fallen world. You can just imagine the light bulbs going off in their heads. 
In our gospel lesson for today, we see something similar taking place, but the message is more subtle. Did you notice how every time Jesus appeared to his disciples, he began with the phrase, peace be with you. Three times Jesus says this as he appears among his followers, peace be with you. What would the disciples have made of this? Well, it might help to know that the Jewish people were waiting for God to restore the peace of Eden to their world. As Friar Joe, his father Joe, has mentioned many times, the people of Israel were longing for a Messiah, but what they really wanted was a military leader. They wanted someone to come along and lead a rebellion against the Romans to get them out of Jerusalem, assume his throne, and then extend God's sovereign reign over the whole world. They believed that God's victory would come and that it would bring peace, the peace of Eden, back to the world. Some of the Jews also believed that with God's victory, when his kingdom was finally established, the faithful martyrs of Israel would be raised from the dead. The Jews were looking forward to a resurrection at the end of the age when the kingdom of God was finally established. We find this theme in Isaiah chapters 24 through 27. In chapter 26, verse 19, the prophet promises the people, Your God's dead shall live, their corpses shall rise. Awake and sing, you who lie in the dust. Likewise, in Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, we're told that many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some shall live forever. Others shall be in everlasting horror and disgrace. And in 2 Maccabees, the promise is repeated in chapter 7, 23, in chapter 7 verse 23, which reads, Therefore the Creator of the world who shaped the beginning of man and devised the origin of all things will in his mercy give life and breath back to you again, since you now forget yourselves for the sake of his laws. The Jews were looking forward to a resurrection at the end of the age, but Jesus was raised from the dead at the wrong time and in the wrong way. Rome doesn't appear to have been conquered, and the end of history hadn't come. Jesus was raised, but Jerusalem was still in enemy hands. Yet Jesus greets his disciples again and again with this confident declaration, Peace be with you. The meaning is clear. All is well. God has triumphed over the powers of evil and even over death itself. So when Jesus greets Thomas and says, Peace be with you, and Thomas, after touching the risen Christ, proclaims, My Lord and my God. He speaks as a man whose eyes have been opened, The puzzle pieces have all begun to fit together. God has been true to all his promises, but not in the way anyone expected. The peace of God's kingdom is here now. We can experience it. And though more is yet to come, we should fear nothing. C.S. Lewis makes this same point in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. You may remember the scene when Aslan gives himself up. Lucy has been captured by the White Witch, and Aslan offers himself to the White Witch uh, and takes Lucy's place. And, of course, the White Witch crucifies Aslan on a great stone altar. And so the kids come rushing back to see what has happened to Aslan. And when they get there, expecting to find him dead, he's been raised from the dead. And his message to the kids is, the White Witch didn't know about a greater magic something more powerful than sin and death. Uh, The message then is this. Sacrifice uh, and love is the power of God, and not even death itself can defeat it. 
And so the kids' worlds were turned upside down, and Aslan goes bounding off uh, to defeat the white witch and to consummate God's plans. This is what the disciples would have understood with the resurrection. And this is what it means for us today. With the resurrection, sin and evil and death are shown to be powerless. There is a deeper magic, which means that we should fear nothing. Returning to the place we began, the turmoil in the Middle East, global terrorism, the rapid decline of our culture, poverty, drug abuse, addictions of all kinds, loneliness, bitterness, hatred, death, and loss that each of us will know before all is said and done. Because of the resurrection, none of these things have any finality about them at all. There truly is nothing to fear. Our suffering is not meaningless. Our joy is well-founded. This is the good news that we have to share with the world. The resurrection of Christ is God's great yes to humankind. In our epistle reading this morning from the book of Revelation, we read these words, Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth. Jesus is the firstborn of the dead and sovereign ruler over all that is. Because he was raised to new life and rules over all, we can be raised as well. Let me end by reading again from John uh, in chapter 20, verse 21. Jesus greets his disciples with these words. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.